What is going on, everyone? Casey Adams here. Welcome back to the Rise of the Young podcast. On today's episode, we have Jesse Itzler here with us. And before we dive into the episode, I'm going to be giving you some more insight into who Jesse Itzler is. So overall, Jesse Itzler is the author of the New York Times bestseller, Living with a Seal, co-founded Marquise Jet, the world's largest private jet card company, which he and his partner sold to Berkshire Hathaway, NetJets. Jesse then partnered with Zyko Coconut Water, which he and his partner sold to the Coca-Cola company. He's a former rapper on MTV and wrote and performed the NBA's Emmy award-winning I Love This Game music campaign and the popular New York Knicks anthem, Go New York Go. When he's not running ultra marathons, eating vegan food, or being a dad to his four kids, Jesse can be found at the NBA's Atlanta Hawks games, where he's an owner of the team. He is married to Spanx founder, Sarah Blakely. Overall, this episode is filled with knowledge and experiential wisdom, and I'm very excited to say, Enjoy the show. What's going on, everyone? Casey Adams here. Welcome back to the Rise of the Young podcast. Today, we have the one and only Jesse Itzler here with us. Thanks so much for coming to the show, Jesse. Absolutely, Casey. Thanks for having me, man. Of course. So I've been following you for quite some time, and you've had such an amazing career, and you've not only inspired me, but so many people through your story. And the first question I want to ask is, when you first started, when it comes to the music industry, how did that go? Huh. Um, <laughs> You've I had so it, many successful exits with Marquis Jets and Zyka and all these different brands, but I want to take it back to music first because I know that's where you started your career. Well, people measure return on investment, ROI, many different ways. So when I started out in the music business, I was just a kid. I was in college in my dorm room trying to make a demo, trying to get signed to a record label. But ROI for me just looked like having fun and doing what I love. So I, I didn't measure my success based on anything other than doing what I love to do as a kid that age. But I did get signed to a record label called Delicious Vinyl, and um, it, it, which was a huge thing. I got onto MTV. I got to get on the road and do some shows and I made a little bit of money. So for me, so it went well in that regard, but I didn't make Jay-Z money. So yeah. I had to look for other things to do. I ended up actually getting dropped from the label at like 22 years old. And I didn't have a lot on my resume at the time other than rapper. So I got thrown into the real world and had to figure it out from there. Got it. And speaking of Jay-Z, I absolutely loved your Instagram post that you put out the other day with you and Jay and the story you told. And I want to take that story and, you know, lead into the marquee jets on what you talked about there. But bring me back and explain that Instagram post for me, because I found it fascinating with how you were able to navigate that whole situation. Yeah, no, it's funny. I posted this the other day. Um, when I was in my 20s, I was writing theme songs for professional sports teams. And it was kind of like uh, eat what you kill kind of thing. I had to write the songs on spec. So I would spend the money, my own money, which I didn't even have, in the studio. And then I would go and pitch teams and be like, hey, do you like this song? And if I could even get them on the phone or get to see them, that was a big accomplishment. But then they had to buy it. And if they didn't buy it, I was out the money. So I went to the New York Yankees. I'm a New Yorker. I went to the Yankees with the song that I did. And um, when I was walking out, the, the marketing director for the Yankees said, hey, 
said, hey, man, we got these four seats that just opened up in the front row on the third baseline. They were built out for the commissioner of Major League Baseball for the World Series, and we're now making them available for uh, sponsors. And someone pulled out. We have four of them, if you know anyone that would want them. So I was like, well, how much are they? And he's like, I don't, I don't remember. They were like $1,000. Four tickets are 4,000 times 80 games. So $320,000. I had a, probably a net worth of, no, definitely a net worth of less than 10 grand at the time. And our entire business maybe had 40 or 50 grand in it and probably more payables than even cash in the bank. But um, my partner was like, definitely not. We went back to the office. I called the guy up and I'm like, we'll take him. And I left the invoice on my partner's desk. And we went back and forth for a long time arguing and debating this. But the reality was um, I knew that there were a lot of restaurants you could go to in New York City and entertain clients. There were a lot of things. Everyone was doing the same playbook. Go to this restaurant. Go to this show. Go to this club. But there were only 16 of these front row Yankee tickets. And I, I just knew that we could... One, we'd never get another chance to get the tickets again, ever. And two, we'd have them for life. We could entertain clients and we'll make our money back. So we bought them. And uh, um, I ended up inviting Jay-Z to one of the games. He's a big Yankee fan with his, his partner, Juan, uh, amongst other people that came in these seats. I mean, it was like we had our own little celebrity row going with CEOs. And, and anyway, Jay ended up, after the game, we made a deal and he split the tickets with us. So he was, we shared season tickets for years, probably like eight or 10 years, something like that. And then a year later, I closed, uh, I sold my company, the theme song company, to a public company in those seats wow. uh, during the World Series. So it ended up being an amazing investment. And also, you know, ended up having them for dates, family, friends, you know, all these different memories. Now, I would not suggest to any young entrepreneur that they go $300,000 in debt or be on the hook. But at that time in my life, I had enough, there were enough signs that I could make this work. Yeah. There were enough yeah. signs and enough momentum that I believed in. The lesson was about betting on myself. And it was about like, let me take the pressure of having this future uh, obligation to pay for the tickets and let me make work some magic and turn it into magic. Yeah. And we did. Love that. What year did you start Marquis Jets and how did that idea come about? I think the idea came about in like 1999, so almost okay. 21 years ago when we were guests on a private plane. My partner and I were like, what in the world is this? Like people fly like this? Yeah. Not so. I want to fly like this. So I was 27 or 28 years old, something like that. And um, we were like, let's start a private jet company so we can, there's got to be other young guys like us that would love to take a couple of trips a year but don't want have the money or access or resources to buy a plane yep. and don't even really know about charter and who flies those planes. And there's a lot of questions at the time around charter. So we, we started a, a program called Marquee Jet with no experience, really no money, no airplanes. And we grew it to uh, 5 billion in sales and wow. sold it. When you sold it, because I'm, I'm fascinated by just, you know, when, you, when someone sells a company, I haven't done that yet personally. What, What's your, what does your mindset go? What is your transition to your next venture? Because, you know, you're running hundreds and thousands of miles, climbing mountains, doing all these crazy activities now. But bringing us back to that transition period, how did you, you know, attach yourself to that next journey in your life after you sold that company? Yeah. Well, you have to remember, Casey, for me, 
when I was between the ages of 19 and 22, I slept on 18 different couches. So 18 different friends put me up couch to couch to couch to couch while I tried to survive in the music business and make ends meet. So my dad owned the plumbing supply house. My mom raised four kids. I'm not even sure how they put everyone through college. And um, when it, my goal was never to sell a company or anything like that. It was always just to provide value. Yep. And I believe that if you provide value and you over-index in that, good things are going to happen. So when we did sell the company, you know, you don't just wake up and be like, I want to buy your company. I'll wire you money tomorrow. Yeah. There's a negotiation, there's a process, and then there's three or four months of legal paperwork, due diligence. So I was really excited. The emotions range from really excited to really nervous that something's going to go wrong and it's not going to close to by the time the actual wire hits, you're kind of like numb to it. You've already spent the money in your head. You've already gone through the process. But because I went through this very humble journey, when, I, when the wire did hit, um, I was making $35,000 till I was like 28 years old. Wow. Then all of a sudden I got wired millions of dollars. I just remember you know, um, waking up the next day. I remember two things. I remember waking up the next day and looking at my bank account and realizing that I made like five or $600 in interest while I was sleeping. And I was like, I want to go back to sleep, make some more money. Yeah. Um, that was like a wild notion that like I didn't have to bust my ass to make money that something was happening while I was sleeping. And then I remember going to look for uh, an apartment. I was renting an apartment. I paid $300 a month wow. in New York City in this walk up, crazy, tiny, the most ridiculous living space ever. And I was like, I'm going to go buy an apartment. And I remember saying to the person when they said, I, I dressed like the same, you know, like they didn't think I could afford it or whatever. And they asked me, you know, how I was going to pay for it. I just remember looking them in the eye and saying, cash. And it felt good. Yeah, yeah. I, I, didn't buy, I didn't buy anything. But that was the process. That was the emotion of it. And, you know, I've sold a couple of businesses since then, some for a lot more than that transaction. Yep. And, um, you know, I'm not driven by the finish line. That's not what really has ever motivated me. In fact, my life hasn't really changed much. How old are you, Casey? 19. What? <laughs> How did you think I was? Yeah, 19. I was born in 2000. When you say 1999, I'm like, that's before my time. <laughs> wow, that just hit me. You got, all, you got it all in front of you, brother. I appreciate um, um, Yeah, I was never driven by that. I was just you know, driven by the journey. And like at 19 years old, what it's hard to understand is, and I, I can say this cause I've been 19. Yeah. It, it's having an appreciation for the journey. And a lot of people want to go right to the finish line and right to the end game. And, and it's always about usually about money or whatever. But like I said, in minute one of this talk, the ROI is different and, and it comes in a lot of different ways. So a lot of times even, and I've had a lot of failures a lot of the ROI have been the lessons that I learned trying, but not failing. But you don't get those lessons and you don't get that return on investment, you know, watching the Kardashians on your couch. Yep. You get it by going out and trying. And even if you don't have it all figured out, which at 19, nobody does unless you're Elon Musk, yeah. you know, you don't have shit figured out. You got to go out there and, and get dirty and figure it out for yourself and make some mistakes and, yep. and figure out what works and what doesn't.
I love that. And you talk, you talk a lot about building your life resume. And hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're telling me you still have a teen in your number? <laughs> 19. I was born July 9th, 2000. How, how old did you think I was? I haven't spoke to many people that have a teen in front of them in, in a while, man. I, I got my kids are close to my oldest is only nine years younger than you. He's 10? <laughs> 10. That's, that's insane. That's great. I'm going to start a podcast. Hey, maybe I'm going to tell him to start a podcast. I'll, I'll talk to him. I'd love to help him any way I can. <laughs> it's, oh, are you there? All right, first this. guest. Yeah, you'll be his first guest. Uh, let, let's do it. I would love that. It's, it's funny because I know you talk a lot about networking and, you know, my podcast for a little over two years started in my bedroom and it's led me to meeting some phenomenal world-class people like yourself and just, you know, having conversations like this. But how did you originally start networking from a young age? Because I know you talk a lot about this and how it's, you know, influenced so much of your behavior in your life. I mastered networking, Casey. When I started out, there was no internet. So I started out at your age, a little bit older than you, 22 years old. I wrote 10 letters a day, handwritten letters. I wrote every day. I wrote 3,000, over 3,000 letters. That was my marketing campaign and my networking campaign. So um, I'm a big believer in handwritten letters or anything that will get you away from the clutter, which yep. is emails, DMs. So that was a big thing for me. Um, and I showed up. I went to every event. I used to... When I, was your, when I was your age, basically, at 21 years old, I signed a record deal with a company called Delicious Vinyl. Before yep. that, I was living on one of those 18 couches I mentioned. And I was in my friend's couch in Burbank, California, and we went to lunch at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And I remember walking into the Beverly Hills Hotel, literally your age, um, and looking around and being like, oh, there's Russell Simmons. Oh, there's Lior Cohn. Oh, there's Michael Ovitz, the head of CAA. All these moguls are at the, at the lunch. And I'm like, you're telling me I don't have to stay at this hotel to have lunch here, all these people in the room? Yep. So all I, I could buy an $8 salad and sit down at this table and sit here for eight hours and see all, and just, and I would. So I would, that became my office. Wow. I would go every day, I would order, order a salad. I would obsess on the mannerisms, how people greeted each other how they said goodbye, how they conducted meetings from afar, like a voyeur. And people started to know me. I started saying hello, introducing myself. You know, I didn't ask for anything. I was just there. No one knew who I was. Yeah. Doing, being friendly and nice and not like, you know, over exert, but just being there. Yep. And it worked. You know, I started bumping to him. Then a couple of years later, I'm rocking and rolling. I got a record out. I know you from somewhere. You used to go to the Beverly Hills. Like, yeah, yeah, okay. Boom, now, now we're high-fiving. Two years later, we're in meetings. Three years later, they're reporting to me. Yep. They're reporting to me. It all flipped. So that, that's how I did it. That's so cool. And by the way, I love Beverly Hills Hotel. Phenomenal place. When you're networking nowadays, what, would you, what advice would you give to young entrepreneurs you know, with technology and how there, there's so much access nowadays? When you say you used to write 10 letters, I... I'll, for example, send 10 DMs or, you know, send a, a gift to someone that was on my podcast to have those touch points. But how do you maintain long-term networking and how have you done that so effectively? Yeah, well, first of all, there's an art to it and it comes with a little bit of experience. You see these gray whiskers? <laughs> it comes with a little bit of this. Yep. Uh, anybody can write a, send a thank you gift and that's super thoughtful. But 
it's all, it only really works if the gift is married to the person and the note is a proper note. Yep. If it's a cookie cutter note that your assistant wrote, it could back, that gift could actually backfire. Mm. So I've always been, wrote it all myself. It's always been, you know, my own thoughts. And there's two, there's two approaches. One approach is stroke the ego, right? People want to get something. So you want to hit their ego. The second, um, the second approach is to make it an effective email, DM, note. You want it to be short. You want to put yourself in the position of the recipient. So if I'm getting this gift or this DM or the email, what am I going to say that's going to make someone react? Because people only want to know what's in it for them. Yep. So if you remember, people want to know what's in it for them, and you push those buttons, you will get a response. You'll build a network. You will connect. If you just do it because you know Gary V or Casey said DM somebody, and you so you DM them, it's a useless, wasteless waste of time. Yep. You have to put the right, you know, um, power behind the email gift or DM or networking. So I can honestly say, if you ask me what my superpower was or is, I could give a five-hour tutorial on networking. Very cool. And being authentic and pushing the right buttons. If I write an, e an email to somebody, I could spend four hours on one email. Mm. I'll, I'll write it, I'll save it, I'll say, can I make it shorter? What words don't belong? Is the subject line right? Will it make them open? Am I communicating what's in it for them? Am I keeping it simple for them to respond and get an answer? Am I putting myself in a position where I'm gonna have to email them back? No, I never wanna get in a position where I'm playing defense. Where I'm emailing them, oh, did you get my email? Don't want to be a pain in the neck. Just wanted to follow up. Hey, Casey, sorry, I emailed you four times. I haven't heard back. I don't want to be that. Yeah. I want to put. I want to create a no lose email. That no matter what I send out, I am going to get a response that I want to hear. Yeah. And that takes time, man. So I will. I will invest the time for one email. It could take me a week, but before I hit send, I already know what's coming back to me. Yep. And I think that most people think volume is the answer. It's some, for some people it is, but to me, it's a combination of networking is a combination of volume, what you put out and the quality and the thought and the effort behind each one of those sends. Love it. I, I kind of want to change gears here with um, kids. How has having kids changed your life when it comes to your daily operations, especially in a time like this where I'm sure, you know, kids are home and, everything happened with the economy and coronavirus, you know, it's the stay, oh, stay home order. How has kids changed your life throughout your journey? If you would have asked me a month ago, I wouldn't have had any of these grades. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's um, the greatest gift in the world. I would never change it. It is an insane amount of time. So okay. you're ready to commit that time. And, and for me, that means sacrificing the upside of work and, and money and business because to build a business from scratch requires an unbelievable amount of time. If you're not all in all the time, all the time, I mean, it's going to be very hard because someone else is going to be, and it's going to be hard. Yep. Um, when you have kids, like you have 20, how many hours do you have in a day, Casey? 24. Right. I don't have 24 hours in a day. I start the day with 22 hours because one hour is getting my kids ready, getting them to school, getting them dressed, going to carpool line. That's every day and it's unwavering. 
So two hours of my day, they're stripped from me right away. Yep. So I'm already operating at, I'm already behind you. I'm already operating at a weakness against you. You got two more hours than I have before the day even starts. Now I have to read to my kids. I might want to play sports. That's another hour. Now I got, now I got 21 hours in the day. You got 20, you got a full deck. So um, it, that's the biggest challenge. It's if you want to put more on your plate outside of your family, if, it's, if family is important to you, you have to choose when you're single and 19, you can do everything. And maybe nothing will suffer. Yep. But when you have four kids under 10 and a wife and parents that are getting older, you, you know, so I, I personally, I'd rather make 20 cents myself with the kids in the life that I have that make $5 without it. And that's a decision I made. Very cool. I, I love how you talk about time and the importance of it. And I heard you talk about, you know, calculating your 26 summers and how you think so like far regarding time. When did that come into your life about the importance of time and how you spend it? I've always been very aware of, of I've always over-indexed over in adventure, even at your age. I've yep. always been like, if there's a conference and I couldn't afford it, I'm going to figure out how to get in. I'll volunteer, I'll sneak in, whatever. Yeah. If there was a good experience or a trip my friends are going on, I couldn't afford it, I'm going, no matter what. It's, no, it's just, I'm in. I'll figure the rest out later. I've always made sure to really make that a big part of my life. And I realized that a lot of my friends went from your age, 19 to 30, because, and they lost their 20s. They gave their 20s to their boss, to chasing their job, to um, chasing money, and that's all important. But you don't want to give up your 20s. My 20s were rich. They were rich in experience, rich in friends, rich in networking. And um, when I started realizing that my friends were going from 19 to 40 overnight, they were aging and they were stressed out and they're worried about promotions or getting fired. And I'm cruising, man. I'm cruising. I'm, at night, I'm on my bike in New York City going up. To, I mean, I'm cruising through life. Yeah. I started to realize how important, how fast this goes and how short the window is. And so I started focusing a lot in my early 20s about time. And, you know, everyone keeps telling me it goes so fast. It goes so fast. And, yeah. you know, you don't realize that till it goes fast. Yep. And, um, and now that I'm 51 and I'm staring 80 in the face in 29 years, um, it's a whole new appreciation of time. I, look, I want to do this much stuff and I only got this much time. So I'm really efficient with my time. Um, let me put it this way, Casey. Let's yeah. just do some simple math, brother. You're 19 years old. Let's say you work. Let's say you go, uh, let's say for the next 50 years. Till you're 70, most people retire at 70. Yep. For the next 50 years, you're going to do great. You've, got a, you've already established a podcast. You've got great momentum in your life. You've built an amazing network. You can pick up the phone and call people that most people dream of calling. Let's say that for the next 50 years, you say, you know what? Every year, once a quarter, I'm going to do something super fucking cool, man. I'm going to go on a trip. I'm going to learn something, whatever. Let's just say you invested in that right now. In the next 50 years, you'll have 200 more experiences or life lessons than someone that doesn't do that. But let's do some math that's even crazier. Let's say that every year you wake up, I don't have a calculator, I'm gonna do this in my head. Nope. I'm doing this on the fly. Every year you say, I'm gonna take one hour a day for myself. Watch this, 
from now to your to for the next 50 years from now to 70 Casey Adams is going to take one hour a day for himself so that's 365 hours times 50 8, so 8,250 what is it 18,250 now do it by three multiply that so multiply three hours a day times 365 uh, times 50 54,750 exactly what I thought it was 55,000 hours so you will get if you took three hours a day just do everybody listen to me and give me one minute to explain this nope you took three hours a day from nine from 20 to 50 for yourself maybe you get up early maybe you stay up late you'll get 55 hours that is now if my math is right that's roughly 10 years if you factor in sleep of free time 10 fucking years years yeah. 10 years that's half of what you've been on earth for now of more of bonus time for yourself i've been taking three hours a day since i'm 21 years old for myself wow. and everyone's like that's impossible you must have a team of nannies you must have this and blah blah, blah. No, no 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 i just committed that and people look at me because like you said i'm big believer in building your life resume yep. doing more shit than you could ever imagine not your traditional business resume. Everybody know that's important. Your life resume. My life resume is ridiculous. It's filled with, it's vibrant. It's filled with color. I live with monks. I live with a seal. I've ran races. I've swam across this. I've climbed mountains. I've jumped in rivers. All this stuff. And people are like, how'd you do it? How'd I do it? I have 10 more years of life, of feeling alive, because I took time every day for myself. The number one gift you could give yourself right now is the gift of cumulative time. It's not the gift of making a billion dollars other than you can give it away and help people. Yep. If, you took, if you took a couple hours every day consistently for yourself to learn, to watch a podcast, to read, to run, to take an adventure, whatever it is, by the time you're 70, you're gonna look back and be like, I have the most amazing fucking life of, I couldn't even imagine it. My friends that lost their 20s didn't do that. Yep. They worked 20 hour days on Wall Street. They snorted cocaine. They went to meetings. They laughed at jokes that weren't funny at business meetings because they wanted a raise. They sniffed someone else's butt to go up the ladder and they made all this money, but they lost their 20s. Success at 19 is having both. It's having the business that thrives and doing what you love, being a good citizen, helping people, but having this rich life of time. And it's a three hour rule, man. You have 55 hours. Listen, you have, this is recorded. This is on Zoom, a recording. When you're 70 and you look back in this time capsule, you can have, you can say two things. I talked to this nut job, Jesse Itzler, who's been dead for 40 years, who told me I should take three hours and I did it. And my life was unbelievable. Or you can look back in this time capsule and you can say, Man, I wish I listened to this guy because I was the 70% version of myself. Yep. And that will be the biggest regret you've ever had in your life. That just hit me. I appreciate you bringing that down. Put that shit on the internet. Yeah, 100%. I have a couple more questions before we wrap it up. You talked about living with a seal, and I know how you, with David Goggins, and how you guys built you know, so much momentum and how you brought him in. How did that come about? And what was your biggest lesson learned from him? 
Yeah, so um, I met Goggins at a race. I didn't know who he was in 2000, like, I don't even know, six. So 14 years ago, he was still active in the military. I was doing whatever I was doing at the time, biz by my own, uh, Marquee Jet or Zico. And um, he was, I just was, I saw this really big guy that physically didn't look like he belonged in an ultra marathon. It was a hundred mile race just because weight and his size everybody else was like you know five five 150 and then this guy comes in <laughs> and i just watched him on determination and will finish the race and i was intrigued i learned a little bit about him that he was a navy seal but um there wasn't a lot of information on him at the time um at all so i called him and we became friends and i asked him to come live with me so i could get some of his secret sauce i love meeting people that are different than me yep. and we, he came in and he lived with me on and off for quite a long time, actually. And I wrote a book about 30 days of that journey, years later, and that's what happened. Very cool. For seeing his transformation now, where do you believe, because he has such a strong message that I know you, you believe in, David Goggins now versus the David Goggins when you met him, what's changed? I haven't spoken to him in a long time, so I don't know where, it's, where, where I, haven't, I haven't been following much of what's yeah. going on. I know he's doing amazing things to help people. Um, prob- yeah. You have to ask him, to be honest, totally. Casey. No worries. I, I had two more things to wrap it up because I love – I saw your talk at um, 10X and how you spoke about Sarah and how she spoke about this, the family environment that you guys have built. It fascinates me because I'm a huge family guy. How did you guys meet and how has that relationship, how did it come about? I'm very curious. Yeah, so my wife's an entrepreneur. She owns a company called Spanx. She was a customer of mine at Marquee Jet, this private jet company that I had with my partner. And we met at a, a, comp, at a customer appreciation event in Las Vegas, a poker tournament that we hosted. Okay. She was a guest and, and that's where we met and um, we got married a year later. Very cool. Last thing that I wanna say is just, not only do you inspire me, but just, for example, you said that your kid's 10, I'm 19. Number one, I wanted to definitely start a podcast before I asked this question. That'd be epic. Let's definitely touch base on that. And then last thing, if you were to give me 19 years old, I know we talked about time, we talked about the networking aspect of things, but to any 19 year old, what would you tell your younger, your younger self with the experience you have now with someone that may have momentum or, you know, already has their mindset figured out? Because I believe, you know, a lot of these podcasts, people are like, what are you telling that 19 year old? But what do you tell someone that has not yet tapped into their full potential, but they have found their lane and they're looking to expand on that? Yeah, I think, well, I think the message about time and taking time for yourself is important. I think there's a lot of people, um, coaches online, that give a lot of great business advice, but I think the message of balance is really lost. Mm. And, you know, I don't care how much money you make, man, it's not worth giving up your 20s. At 20, you should be trying different things, learning, experiencing, meeting people, going on adventures, being young, making mistakes, taking risk. And um, to lo- you never get that opportunity again. It's not worth any amount of money to lose your 20s, no matter how hard you're working. That's yep. my perspective. Um, so, um, but also I think things take time. And I think people, in, we live in a world of instant everything, likes, how many people did I gain followers, how many downloads. Yep. And um, life, that's the new life, but that's not really, there's, there's a lot of false, there's a lot of, um, I don't know, it's, it's not really portraying what like reality is. Things take time. 
Yep. You're building a podcast. You didn't just put the lights on and get a zillion downloads the next day. It take, Think about all the work. Even me, I was 15 minutes late. That's your time. It's a pain in the ass. You know, multiply that by tracking down guests. And so people see the shiny side. Casey's got this thing. He's rocking and rolling, all these followers, all these downloads. Casey busts his ass, man, to get that. And I think a lot of that is lost through the message of instant everything. So I would just say that you have to be patient and you have to appreciate yeah. the process. It's not just the process isn't just, it's the passion isn't just about, I have a podcast that I want people to listen to. The passion has to be around hunting down guests, waiting when people yeah. aren't are 15 or 20, minute, 20, 20 minutes late. The, the computer went uh, power lost. I lost the whole episode. I got to call this guy again and apologize and redo it. That's all part of what happens. Yep. For, for that and an understanding that that's part of the process, then the obstacles are going to be too great and you're not, it's not going to work. If you do realize that, look, man, all right, this guy's 15 minutes late, but he is giving me 30 minutes of his day and right. it's part of what it is and that's my attitude, it's much better. So I, I just think it's important that that message doesn't get lost. To totally. passion process. I love that. Well, that being said, Jesse, I just want to say thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your day to do this. And you have a lot of things going on now. You have books, you have events. Where can people learn more about what you have going on a day-to-day -day basis and where, they, where can they follow you? Yeah, so um, I'm on Instagram. That's the best place, at Jesse Itzler, with all the links in my bio. Yep. I have a course called Build Your Life Resume that takes my best practices and living a great life, and business, everything, and a series of videos. And I got four kids, and I'm a part owner of the Atlanta Hawks. And yes. I'm running three hours a day to myself, Casey. Love that. Well, that being said, Jesse, thank you so much for coming on. It truly means the world.